The world offers you comfort, but you, my dear friends, were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Hello, everybody. My name is Kevin. Thank you so much for being here today. And I want to ask you one question. What's more important to you? Your political affiliation or your friend and your family? Now, I'm going to I'm going to wade into the choppy political waters here for this post, and I try generally to stay away from them, but my nature, I, I love politics. I think it's really interesting. I, I love ideas, philosophy. I, these things really fascinate me. What makes people tick and, and why things move in certain directions. I like these things. Now, for myself, personally, I'm a conservative a social conservative, a fiscal conservative, a, a governance conservative, a religious conservative, you name the type of quote-unquote conservatism, I bet you I'm going to fit into that category. I want to give you an examples, some examples here. I don't like abortion in any circumstance. And I think there ought to be laws that protect the rights of the unborn human. Did you know that in Canada, there are no laws that protect unborn humans? Did you know that? Not many people know that, especially Canadians don't know that. There are no laws in Canada. In, in fact, I feel the same thing about euthanasia. I think that euthanasia is immoral and shouldn't be considered as a government, uh, as a, well, it shouldn't be considered, period, but especially as a government policy. I also don't think that same, a same-sex union is the same as a heterosexual marriage. I think that they're inherently different. I don't think necessarily that um, that people involved are bad people in a same-sex union. I think everybody's ultimately good, but I don't think that it's a it's a an, the exact same as a heterosexual marriage. And I think that there ought to be some type of government tax relief for families involved in marriages. Now that said, I don't like the idea of certain types of welfare that disable citizens by not teaching them how to fish. I'm not against social spending. I think that it's good, but I think there must be some sort of checks and balances in place to hold the recipients of this social spending and to hold the middlemen, the NGOs who often act as gatekeepers to these funds and programmings. Something ought to be there to hold these people accountable. Not that they're bad or 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 uh, going to fail every single time. I, that's not the case. I think all of us are sinners. We've all made mistakes. And I have seen cases where people have abused systems, whether they're, they are an NGO or whether they're an individual. Um, so I think there should be programs there, and I think that they should be held accountable. In general, though, it doesn't shouldn't apply to business. I think that governments shouldn't bail, shouldn't bail out private businesses. And, for example, if an airline is failing, let them fail. However, I do think that there should be robust programming to assist unemployed workers, but that these same systems need not apply to large but failed corporations. It's one thing for me to say that governments shouldn't, shouldn't bail out businesses, but what happens to the workers, factory workers, the men and women who, if using an airplane, the fly the plane, run the plane, um, the flight attendants, the people who fix the airplanes, all these things are all workers and they need money. Work is a good thing. So what, what's the response to this? 
was the response. I'm not an economist, but I, I don't think the government should bail out the companies. But I do think that there should be robust programming in there to assist unemployed workers in general. I think that the smaller the government, the better off all of us are. I think that freedom and liberty of the individual ought to be the litmus test of a particular government's effectiveness. I also, I, I disagree completely that our Western society is systematically racist and irredeemable. Now, I have no doubt that there are inequalities in the application of the law and of wealth, but I'm more inclined to recognize the social and governmental and relational impacts of such inequality. Now, this, all of this might seem very silly for a, a Canadian to suggest. Rather, this next thing I'm going to say should, might seem silly, but I do think that the current president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, is doing a good job. As good of a job, if not better, perhaps, that, but that might be my own bias. But as good of a job than any political leader in my own active memory, since I've been paying attention to these things. And as a free citizen of, 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 of Canada, and I think free citizens throughout the entire world, um, I would want, and I think everybody would want, to have a political leader, quote-unquote leader, that shares the, a similar value of governance as, as him, as, as me. Um, like I said, liberty is the, is the litmus test of government. You know, do they advance it, or do they have or have they limited it, or or hindered its its viability? And I think that the actions of Donald J. Trump, I think they're good. I think they're advancing liberty in general. Uh, as a point of transition, I want to ask you once more: What's more important to you, your politics or your loved ones? I want to give you an example of something, and and I'm not very techy. I've said that several times. You want a really techie guy? <laughs> wrong podcast. <laughs> you know, somebody who's spot on and always polished. Wrong podcast. That's okay. Um, I like this video a lot. I'm going to play this video. It's a video that was recently released, re-released, and it's a speech that, that Donald Trump gave to Poland roughly three years ago. And he's talking about the anniversary of the Solidarity Movement, the liberty of Poland from communism. And I really like this speech a lot. Now, I'm going to play it. I, I don't know how to, the reason why I mentioned the techie stuff, I don't know how to upload the audio properly to this podcast. So I'm just going to play it in the background of my computer speakers. And, you know, hopefully you don't find it too distracting. Okay? Give it a listen. Just one moment. Through four decades of communist rule, Poland and the other captive nations of Europe endured a brutal campaign to demolish freedom, your faith, your laws, your history, your identity, indeed the very essence of your culture and your humanity. And when the day came on June 2nd, 1979, and one million Poles gathered around Victory Square for their very first mass with their Polish Pope, that day, every communist in Warsaw must have known that their oppressive system would soon come crashing down. They must have known it at the exact moment during Pope John Paul II's sermon, when a million Polish men, women, and children 
suddenly raise their voices in a single prayer. We want God. Together with Pope John Paul II, the Poles reasserted their identity as a nation devoted to God. You stood in solidarity against oppression, against a cruel and wicked system that impoverished your cities and your souls. And you won. We can still hear those voices that echo through history. Their message is as true today as ever. The people of Poland, the people of America, and the people of Europe still cry out, we want God. Now, I want to tell you, in my waking memory, in my memory of uh, being aware of politics, Donald Trump was the first world leader to voice this. And we've had religious leaders saying similar things. But imagine a world leader, not just any world leader, but the president of the United States himself, acknowledging Pope St. John Paul II's role, and even more so, Acknowledging the Polish people's assertion that they want God. Now in Canada and U.S. and throughout the entire world, there's this polarized, polarization of our social dialogue, almost to the point there's, there's no dialogue, particularly around Donald Trump. He's bombastic, he's, he's rude, he speaks his mind, he's off the cuff, speaks from the hip, all these things. These things I personally find a little appealing that I like that he's not polished. I like those things. And I hope that it doesn't get in the way of, of, of me interpreting his actions and the things that he does. But the other side is this group of never-Trumpers, the guys that can't stand them. The guys that almost refuse. Like I've, I've spoken to some people in these situations that they refuse to acknowledge any good thing that Donald Trump has ever done. And this this thing that I just played for you, that, that the President of the United States, the, the POTUS himself, acknowledged Pope St. John Paul II's role and the Polish people's assertion that they want God, those two things that led to the fall of communism. Pope John Paul II was instrumental in the fall of communism. And as George Weigel stated, this moment that Donald Trump captured is the very moment that changed all of human European history. This moment and to have a speechwriter, sure, fine, a speechwriter said this, not Trump, fine. You know, all, all, all political figures have speechwriters. Why should this one be discounted and none of the other ones are? But the fact that, that this is, that, uh, that uh, I'm getting tongue-tied a bit, but the fact that Donald Trump captured this moment shows a keen awareness of the impact of such a moment. It shows that he has a vested interest in this moment and its impact on the people of Poland and Europe, Eastern Europe. Not just some guy who's saying platitudes and nice things, but he had a vested interest in the context and the overarching effects of this action 
of Pope John Paul II and the people's response, we want God. We want God. Now the fact that the POTUS himself acknowledged this, that has to warm the heart of even the most avid of never-Trumpers. Released shortly before a campaign and election year? Sure. You know, fine. <laughs> you can say that. That's fine. It's it's legitimate. That's a legitimate frustration. Sure. I don't really care. I, I don't, to be honest. Now, I want to say one thing about this on that note. And I want to ask you that one question again. What's more important to you, your politics or your loved ones? What's more important to you? Now, if, if your friend, and, and I want to use this as an example somehow, somehow. I love the, the speech. I think he did a great job. Done a few years back. They released it this year in the election year. I think it's great that they did it. It shows his awareness, keen awareness of what's important to the people and what impacts the people. And that's what you want a political leader to do, is to be an advocate for the people, to serve the people. And that's what you want. Is Donald Trump himself, is he perfect? No. No, not at all. The guy makes mistakes. Sure. I, I don't read him. I, I don't expect him to be impeccable. I don't expect him to be infallible. I don't expect him to never sin. I politicians lie all the time. Why should he be an exception? I don't think that that should be an excuse or, or, or a point that, that politicians ought to lie. Obviously, I think that's wrong. But I shouldn't be surprised if he's caught in a lie. And apparently he lies all the time. The never-Trumpers, those never-Trumpers say he lies all the time. That's fine. But I want to ask you these never-Trumpers a question. If your friend or your family member is a Trump supporter, and you find that that's enough for you to call that person a racist or homophobe or deplorable, or to even treat that person or his ideas with contempt, simply because they would support Trump, quote-unquote Trump, over the other guy. Or look at those ideas I mentioned earlier. Abortion, abortion rights, non-rights, same-sex unions and heterosexual marriage, um, social programming, putting some sort of checks and balances in place for these things, bailing out companies and corporations, um, governments respecting an individual's freedom and ownership, over things, his right to bear arms. You know, I, I'm not a gun owner. I, I, it's not something that appeals to me to, in, to a certain degree. But I think that if, if it appeals to you, I think that you, you know, have the right to bear arms or, or to, to own firearms. I think that there's different um, ways that that's interpreted in, in different cultures. And I, I kind of think that the United States in particular might have a different obsession over firearms than I would ever say is, you know, balanced. <laughs> but, but that's okay. I'd love to hear their thoughts. You know, and that's that's kind of the point. I'm not pretending that I'm perfect in this stuff. I'm not. I'll, I'll say that in a moment too. Um, but if all these ideas and the fact that I or your friend or your loved one would vote for someone like Donald Trump, if that causes you to, to slur and to slander that person, 
as a racist, as a homophobe, or as deplorable, or to treat that person with contempt. Maybe that problem isn't your friend, your loved one, or your family member. Maybe it's you. You know, I I know that we have to be kind and be friendly, but that doesn't mean we can't challenge one another. You know, is, is the fact that your brother or your sister or your friend or your mom or your dad or your cousin, your uncle, that one uncle in your family that's, you know, just kind of strange, <laughs> is the fact that that person supports one political candidate over the other enough for you to justify disrespecting that person or defaming them? What does that say about you? And it's going to apply back to me too. And I want to say this one major point here. Something that I have to remember for my own sake is to be careful where you plant your standard, your flag. Politics and government decisions are rarely black and white. Rarely black and white. There's a spectrum of colors <laughs> that 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 uh, that allow for government decisions to be made and each of them just as viable and good as another one sometimes but be careful when you plant your flag you know i i might currently support donald trump but what if he goes and he does something just horrible let's say a preemptive strike on a country preemptive strike and then fudge the numbers and lied about it about why he preemptively struck a country or a nation. What if he nuked? What if he launched a nuclear bomb to do that? This preemptive strike was a nuclear bomb that destroyed, I don't know, North Korea. Something horrible like that. Am I still going to stand there? Because that's where my flag is is buried. That's where I've, where I've placed my standard. Where I put my identity in that person, in that candidate. But what about these ideas that I mentioned earlier, these concepts of governance, about social programming? I love the poor. I, I feel more at home working in the local soup kitchen <laughs> sometimes than I do working with very wealthy individuals. Small government. I mean, does that mean that like every single small government is absolutely better? No. Is there racism in our culture? I said that I disagree completely that our Western society systematically, uh, I, I disagree with that point that it's racist and irredeemable. I disagree with that. But does that mean that I'm going to sit there in the face of, of absolute racism and ignore it completely because I simply disagree that it's systematically racist? No. Be careful where you plant your flag. Now today, it's the leftists that are out of control, the leftists that are burning down cities, burning Bibles in Portland about a month ago. A couple Antifa people, Black Lives Matter people were burning Bibles. But tomorrow, what if it's the conservatives doing this stuff? What if it's the conservatives? We need to remember that it's not so much identity with a certain group or a certain um, figure, political figure. We live in the battlefield of ideas, so to speak. But that doesn't mean that I hold on firm to my ideas and never let them go, never let them be challenged. That's really immature. 
for me to do that. I know that I, I do this. I, <laughs> I know I do this. What I need to remember is in whom our standard, my standard, ultimately belongs. And that, my dear brothers and sisters, is in the heart of Jesus. And that's why I like this video and its impact. I don't care which political candidate said it, but the fact remains that Donald Trump is the first one in my waking memory to publicly acknowledge two things, that Pope, Pope St. John Paul II was instrumental in the fall of communism, too. It was the fact that the people wanted God. We want God. We want God. The Polish people resounded as one. We want God, and without JP2, this moment would have never happened. Now, if if you will allow, maybe, perhaps, your anti-Trump bias, the control over your life, to at least not appreciate the fact that he's the only one to acknowledge this reality, then maybe the trouble isn't Trump. Maybe it's yourself. And more importantly, and, and I'd say eternally importantly, if this um, allows... If you will allow your distaste for Trump or a political figure or an idea to get in the way of loving and respecting your friends and your family, then maybe the problem isn't Trump or your friend or your brother or your son. It's you. Now, I've done this. I'm not immune to this. I've allowed my own ideology to get in the way of loving my neighbor. And I've had to learn that I need to be careful where my standard is planted. My standard doesn't belong in a political party or in a leader. It belongs in the heart of God. Political movements and leaders come and go, but only two things will remain. God and my family and friends. And if I've allowed my political affiliation or my political ideas to get in the way of loving those, quote-unquote, least to me, including my family and friends, then the shame's on me. For people who are never-Trumpers in my mind, who I would deem to be a never-Trumper. I need to remember this. I need to remember this at the same heart of, heart of God that beats for love of me, beats for love of that person. And I need to learn how to love with this heart of God that lives and that beats on for that quote-unquote never-Trumper. And I really ought to do myself a favor and that person a favor, perhaps, to just sit down with that gentleman, buy him a coffee, a beer, whatever it is, and just say, hey, man, why don't you want this person as the next president of the United States? Why, why do you think that this idea is a good idea? Why do you think we should bail out governments or, pardon me, bail out corporations and businesses? Why do you think that we should write a blank check for people that, that don't have work? You know, without any checks and balances. Why are these things good things? Because that's, we're, we're called to be in communion with others, not in opposition against each other. In communion. Because we ought to be beating with the heart of Jesus that loves every single one of us. And I ought to learn how to love with that beating heart of Jesus. The same heart that beats for that other person on the other side of the political spectrum, the other in my life. The same heart that beats for me beats for that person. And I ought to learn how to love that other person, no matter what his or her ideas are. 
no matter where their political stripes are, no matter if they're unabashed communists or staunch libertarians. I need to love them. And it's incumbent upon me, I think, to engage in a dialogue with them and to hear them out. Hear why. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? It's so important. That's, that's what it means to be made for greatness, I think. That it's comforting to stay within my own ideas that I formed over the years. It's comforting for me to stay there. But in this path to be made for, to, to, um, to attain the greatness that I'm called to, my heart, as I mentioned before, is, is called to be stretched. And that means letting go of these comforts of my political affiliation and my ideas, letting go of these things. Because if I want to be, if I want to be holy, if I want to be saved and to love with God's love, with, with, if I want to beat my heart with his loving heart, then I need to ask God for the grace to be surprised by the answer that my loved one or my friend or my acquaintance is going to share with me that I would be that I would be so detached from my own ideas that I would be willing to hear the heart of the other no matter where they're coming from the world offers you comfort but you're not made for comfort you my dear friends you're made for greatness and this greatness is God himself and don't ever plant your standard in somewhere other than the greatness of God himself That's where we need to remain.